to Online for Authors, where I, Terry M. Brown, author of character-driven fiction and host of the podcast, introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch by interviewing authors, discussing their books, learning about the writing process, and even, on occasion, chatting live with a panel of authors to discuss topics relevant to both readers and writers. My guest today on Online for Authors is Emily Winslow, author of the book Time to Write. Emily Winslow lives in Cambridge, England, and in addition to Time to Write, is the author of a Cambridge-set series of crime novels and the memoir Jane Doe January. Her books have been published by Random House, HarperCollins, Allison and Busby, and Shanghai Translation Publishing House. Not only is Emily an author, but she trained as an actor, earned a master's degree in museum studies, and is the course director for Cambridge's master degree program in crime and thriller writing. Welcome today to Online for Authors. Today we have Emily Winslow, who is author of Time to Write and several other books. And we are going to talk today about the craft of writing. Welcome, Emily. Hello, thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you. Um, so, of course, I read your book. That's, you know, like, why thank wouldn't you. I read your book, <laughs> right? So I want you to tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself your writing mm -hmm. life, and kind of what led you to write Time to Write. Thank you. Uh, so I've written uh, a series of novels, crime novels, uh, set here in Cambridge. Uh, I've written a memoir. Um, and those experiences were so deeply, deeply important to me. Um, and there, I think when you when you express yourself, when you express your view of the world, which is what we do when when we're writing fiction, or when you tell something personal about yourself and you share it and you you articulate it, even just for yourself, it just um, it means so much uh, to me as a person. Which is why I love to teach. I love to encourage people and help them uh, find their voices, find what they want to say. Uh, let them know they are allowed to say what they want to say, uh, help them figure out how they can communicate it most vividly and clearly. Those are clear. Clarity is a really big hobby horse of mine, um, because a lot of times we perceive things uh, because of what we're bringing to it. And when you write for a, a wide audience, you need to find a way to communicate to somebody who doesn't think like you do. Exactly. Um, so I love teaching, and uh, and so time to write is the encapsulation of everything I've taught for the past seven years since I started teaching at Cambridge University, and it's just I just really wanted to I I ended up being asked to teach all these different topics, and I I, I just sort of hit this this point with all the lectures where I said this is it this is this is everything I want to say I want. <laughs> I want to catch it in a book. Um, so awesome. that's that's why I wrote it. <laughs> Fantastic. So I loved your idea with clarity. That was one of the, the things that as I was reading, you know, I, I too am an author and I've now been through the editing process with an editor three different times. Yep. And the the times that she has said to me, this is not clear. And my thought is, is it's not because it's perfectly clear to me. Those, those <laughs> characters, they live in my head and I know everything about them. I know what they would choose for breakfast at any given restaurant, right? And the fact that it isn't clear, it always shocks me. And then I go back and I try to read it again and it's like, oh, well, actually, I don't guess I did tell you the things that were sitting in my head, did I? Yes. And so that idea of clarity is very important. How do you help authors, soon to be authors, already authors, understand that concept of what you mean by clarity? Oh, how? I mean, you're right, because sometimes uh, it's very natural to feel resistant when somebody says, I couldn't figure out how old these characters were. And, uh, for, and especially when sometimes you'll be in a workshop where there'll be like six students and half of them will say, well, I knew they were teenagers. And the other half will say, well, I thought they were middle-aged. And, and it's very easy to, um, 
for the author to get in the, in the, into the feeling of thinking, oh, well, the people who knew they were teenagers were right. And the people who thought they were middle-aged, they just weren't paying attention enough. They were right. wrong. And I'm not saying that to mock that feeling. That's a natural feeling. I feel that when somebody doesn't understand what I wrote. That's my first reaction. It's normal. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, it's take a deep breath and say, well, or do you just want to write this for just these three people? Or do you want to write it? For, for all kinds of people, because we're not we're not bad people because we misunderstood that. It's just we're coming with a different uh, foundation. And I think this, as with all things, um, gentleness <laughs> and encouragement and the fact that we are all on the same side, we all want each other's stories to be clear. Right. It, um, right. And just making it a, a safe place uh, for people to make these discoveries and realize, oh, okay, yeah, I do want to make that clear. <laughs> right, right. I know that I've been reading books before where I have had an idea about a character that I recognize at about two-thirds of the way through the book, I'm wrong. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Yes. You know, and then you have to kind of go back and readjust everything and it's hard because you've already made this character very real in your head and you've got this character yes. as, as you know, maybe like a, a, a white 17-year-old and you find out <laughs> later that she's, you know, like a black 40-year-old and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, you almost have to start over again. You do, you have to, like, you have to it's kind of then go mind. back and think of all of the things that, that you've hung on this character and, and, and take them off and hang them somewhere else. And it's, it's very hard. So I like that idea of making sure that it's, it's very clear up front, unless that was the purpose of the book. Of course, of course, deliberate unclarity is, is a good thing. Right. <laughs> Right. When it's, but that's when you're misdirecting to something specific, like they've tricked you yes. into thinking it was a 40-year-old. But right. if it's just that they didn't tell didn't, you, didn't tell and you. somebody's right. picturing 40 and somebody else is picturing 60 and somebody else thinks they're 10, then that's not going to work. But if it's deliberate and controlled right. experience, then... Right. And so even so even then, it's it's clarity. It's just that, that you yeah. purposefully misdirected. You know, yep. so it was it was intentional. So it's more about the intent, you know, and so that is a, it's really good. Um, you have a, a chapter in there kind of later, but we'll, we'll jump to there right now about editing and the editing process for me. My very first time, my very first book, when it was edited, I, I it, she's a great editor. She was so kind and gentle. And nonetheless, I went to bed afterward and I slept for 12 hours and felt like felt like my book was horrible. And it, it felt like it felt like being back in grade school with all the red notes. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and I was sure that my book was crap. And, you know, and it had nothing to do with what she said. It was just in my mind, my book was so perfect. That, that any kind oh, of yeah. quote unquote criticism felt, oh, it was horrible. And so I sat with it. Yep. And after a couple of days, I was able to look at one of the pieces and say, well, that actually makes sense. And then the next piece was like, and, and that one actually makes some sense. Yep. And the next one was, well, <laughs> I can see where she's coming from. <laughs> So that that idea, That's a beautiful moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's interesting with my. So I just finished my third one. It'll be coming out, and I I was actually looking forward to the editing process because oh, that's a great feeling. Yeah, the last two times she's been so wonderfully helpful, right, and helped me take yep. my book that was good and make it so much better yes. by just some suggestions. And she, it's not like she says, Terry, write this. Yeah. It's it's Absolutely. just, it's just, I felt like we were wandering around aimlessly for a while and I needed a little more clarity of where the story was going. Oh, hmm. okay. Because I knew where the story was going. So it didn't <laughs> feel like wandering to me, right? Or, or I would love to hear more about that character. Yeah. You would, 
would have never, you know, those kinds of things. And to me, that is the most valuable. How, how can we help authors understand how valuable things like, like the editing process or, or criticism or going into like a, a group where, where we're going to do critiques and things like that. How can we help an author go into that without that feeling like my book is already perfect and I don't need your help? Yeah. <laughs> so I always make sure that there's a, a master's program uh, that I'm now course director of and I used to, to teach on under a different wonderful course director. And I, I always make sure that how my how to give critique class happens in the first week and, and ideally the first day, really. <laughs> because it's so important because here you have these incredibly talented, ambitious people ready to work and they're going to be thrown into, you know, giving feedback to each other. And it can just be so scary because you don't want to um, say anything hurtful or say anything that everybody might disagree with. Exactly. But also it's it's not healthy to go in with the attitude of thinking, oh, you know, I, I, I'd better, you know, criticize this person really harshly to so, show, show that I'm a, I have. That I know what I'm doing. Right. right. So, yeah. Which is, and again, I am not saying that to mock anybody who feels that. It's it's very natural. I sometimes feel that as a teacher when a student hands in something that's just absolutely marvelous. And all I can say is, well, dang, that was fantastic. That was good. Great. <laughs> yeah. And I have in the past, no longer, but in the past I've thought, oh no, I better find something to comment on. Uh, but no, you, you don't need to. So there are a few things uh, that I focus on there. One uh, is that criticism is not the only thing you can say. Okay. Uh, you know, praise is so important. And when people nod and say, yeah, 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 it's important so that it makes the author comfortable enough to hear the criticism. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's more than that. Absolutely <laughs> important on its own. If all you do is criticize somebody, that's like sending them to the grocery store with a shopping list that says no pickles absolutely no cake mix and under no circumstances do I want a turkey. And that's the list. That's not going to help somebody. No. <laughs> it's not gonna help somebody. Right. You have right. to help people identify what they naturally do well and why it's helpful and what it accomplishes. So I think all you do is praise somebody. So long as you praise them specifically, uh, you're giving them an incredible gift. So I encourage that, first of all. We want lots of specific praise. And you had said, too, in your book that it's really yeah. good to, when you're doing specific to actually, like, point to a phrase. Like, oh, when you said here, when you wrote this here, yep. it, it, you know, it evoked this feeling in me. Or I, I loved the way when your character said X, Y, Z, that this is, you know. So I, when I like they that. learn, that's how each of us right. learns what what we do well. Because so much of writing, this, the stuff we do well is just we don't even think about it. It's just exactly. the way the words come out. And then there's another the other part that we had to learn, but then we know what we're doing, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but the natural things, we're so ignorant of our own natural talents some of the time. And so we praise a lot. We, uh, we share neutral observations. And the start of the talk is always, I say, who believes me that neutral observations are valuable? And always there are like very few hands, if any. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, yeah, I know, I know, but trust me. Um, and that's because as you said, that when you're the writer, you go into it, you know all of this stuff. And it's really hard to read your own work with an empty mind. I mean, we can try by putting it away for a few weeks. We can try by just kind of, you know, taking a deep breath and saying, I am a reader. I don't yeah, know. I'm it. a reader. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we, we never get there completely. And so just to have somebody say what they perceived happened in the scene or what they perceive the motivations of characters to be, or how they responded emotionally. Say, I laughed at this point here, that's where I laughed. 
or this point here. That's where I was surprised because those are things the writer can't know themselves. They can hope that somebody will be surprised. Right, right. I wrote, I wrote that so that they would laugh, but are yes. they really laughing? And sometimes you get really surprised because you think I wrote that to be moving. <laughs> right. Why are they laughing? <laughs> One of my favorite things is when you you bring a piece to somebody and you were hoping they would read it one way and they read it a different way. Like you were hoping it was a, a scene showing a great relationship between two people and they read it and they say, I don't trust this guy at all. <laughs> and then you start to think maybe, oh, that's interesting. What if he's not trustworthy? What if, you know, right, right. Uh, you can you can play with that or you can go back and say, no, I, I need this I need to be a good relationship. I'm going to so, right. fix that. So those are those two things. Mm -hmm. And th only then do we get to criticism. <laughs> and there are two important points for criticism for me. Am I saying too much, Terry? <laughs> no, 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 this is, so this is fabulous because I think there are a lot of authors out there who are asked, I know I am, who are asked, yeah. would you read part of my manuscript? Can we, can we do, yes. can we, can we trade? Can we, you know, let's talk yep. about it. And, and the idea of how do you, how do you help? Like if, if, if someone has given me something to read and it is, it could use help, I would love to do that, mm -hmm. but I don't want to do it in a way where I put them to bed for 12 hours. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So the, the two things that to me are the most important. One is that uh, when you suggest something to improve or change or cut, it's not about fixing something that's bad, which is often the mindset the author feels. And again, that's exactly. natural. I feel that right. that's normal. Yeah. I always articulate, especially when I'm leading a workshop group, what can we suggest that will make this already terrific piece even better? better? Right. Because we're, we're not between two extremes, you know, where, where here's perfect and here's awful. You know, most of us are in the middle somewhere and we're just trying to move closer to the really, really good. Or wait, I just, I just hear closer to the really, really good. There we go. That was my, that was my good man. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not about, uh, you know, you failed or it was right. terrible. It's just about, no, it's really good. And, and here is something that might, you might want to consider. I think that's the other thing is, is if it can be put in a way of, here's something to consider. Yes. As opposed to you need to. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because when I have an author or anyone actually tell me I need to do something, even when it's not about my <laughs> writing, <laughs> yeah, even, when, yeah, even when it's not about my writing, it's like, I need to do what, <laughs> what, who are you to tell me? And so, yeah, having the, here's some suggestions to consider does go down better. And why? And saying this is yeah. you know, this is why I'm I'm saying this, but always emphasizing the book belongs to them. Right, right. And I do like that idea with with always remembering that the author is the author, and yes. in the end, the the piece is theirs, and they're going yeah. to have to be comfortable with whatever goes out. And Completely. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that when people ask me, well, what would you tell a writer? I say, always listen to people who have suggestions and ignore those that don't fit you. <laughs> and, and this is the other important thing with criticism, okay? Okay, yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> Some people, uh, they jump ahead to how a problem should be fixed. And they tell the author, you should do this because that will fix X, Y, and Z, or just they say you should do this. And often the author will instinctively know that that's not right. It's not right for the rest of the book they have planned. It's right. not right for the theme they're proposing. It's just not right for that character. Um, and they and then they can just resist it and, and cross that off and, and say, I'm not going to listen to that. Fair enough. But Far more important than suggesting how to fix a problem is just identifying that there is a problem. Uh, indeed, a problem. Right. Much, much more useful because for any problem in a book, there are at least 20 different ways an author can fix it. Right. 
And if you focus too much on the, this is the way to fix it, then the author, then you can end up with this distance and, and the author just, they know it's not right. So they're just going to dismiss it. But if you point out, hey, here's a problem. I was confused about who was speaking in this entire scene. Maybe there are too many characters. Maybe, because that might be the solution to reduce the number of characters. Right. Or maybe there are 19 other <laughs> solutions or more uh, that the author could take. So the focus on, when you're giving critique, I, I recommend to focus on identifying problems problem. and only suggesting fixes as possibilities, uh, if you suggest any at all. And for an author, if you're receiving commands, you know, like from an editor or something, or even just from your workshop group or your friend, um, try to work back and figure out what problem they're trying to solve. You can ask them, or you can just think back, well, what would this change? What do I think they're trying to solve? Right. And then you can fix it your own way if you choose to. So, that, so that's, that's the key. Yeah. What's so interesting about that, in my second book, An Enemy Like Me, my mm -hmm. editor came back to me and gave me a, a problem with a solution, and I hated her solution. I yeah. hated it. Because what she said was, is this character, William, uh, that you show as a grown-up has no, no real arc. You just need to get rid of him. Ah! <laughs> That's your character. It's <laughs> like, what? Like, my whole book hangs on this character. Like, I've yeah. written it. Like, I was appalled absolutely appalled and so I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it and I I even wrote her a, a long letter as to why you know and she then said that's when she actually did the best thing she ever could do for me is she said so then what I want you to do is because I wrote my book in such a way that William as this adult had his own chapters she said pull yeah. those chapters out and read them you'll see he doesn't have an arc <gasps> she was right. <laughs> but what she was wrong about was that he needed to stay. I needed to strengthen his arc and it was right. all there. I just, yeah. I just alluded to it. So anytime, oh, anytime yeah, I alluded yeah. to it, I highlighted it and created way more content to actually show this growth, to show yeah. the problem. So her solution was to cut it and your and solution was, no, 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 this can be fixed. There's an arc. I'll find it for I'll you. I'll find <laughs> it for you. And when I when I gave it back to her, she went, oh, yes, this will work. Oh, you know, and so, so it's, it was that idea of, you know, she gave this suggestion and it was, oh, my, it was like pulling my heart out because I thought, well, if we do that, I'm just going to throw the book away. It's not even, it's not even worth <laughs> fixing, you know? Um, so I do like that idea of letting me know, like from the beginning, it could have been said more like there's no arc. Here's a way to look at the arc. There are several ways to fix it. One that's really easy would be just to eliminate him as an adult. Mm. You know, and then I could have said, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. But then I would have been already thinking about others. Instead, yeah. I mean, I like tormented myself for for weeks and I kept thinking, maybe I just need a different editor. I just needed it. She just doesn't understand my wow. story. Like I was just horrified because to me, the story hung with this character. Right. And And I couldn't even. And then she was so right, though. It hung with the character. And the character and I were one, but I had not let my readers know. And so you're right. If I had been able to say, okay, what is she really saying? Mm -hmm. How else can I fix it? I probably would have saved myself two weeks of grief, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned. I've learned things. So you're all learning all yes. the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that you said when you were, um, kind of giving your opening was, you know, to let readers, I mean, to let uh, writers know, you know, what they can do, you know, that they're allowed to do or allowed to say. And you have a chapter in there called May I. Mm -hmm. So explain your May I chapter. Like, what is that advice about? The number one most popular question I would get asked by students is, am I allowed? Am I allowed? And then they, they finish that. Right, and it's right. always something like, "Am I allowed to to have more than one narrator?" Yes, of course 
course you are. There are lots of books that have that. Um, but even if there weren't, you're allowed to try. And uh, the point of that chapter is, first of all, the answer is almost always yes. Do you remember the one thing that I said is not yes? <laughs> I can't remember. I remember reading it and laughing. What was the it? The one thing that is not yes is, may I put write, uh, type my medieval set story in calligraphy font? Oh, yes. And yeah, I remember. That's why I laughed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you have no, to, to, you know, read this clear. Um, but other than that, my answer is always going to be yes that you're allowed to do it, but then your next question is gonna be, does it work? Right. And, and I don't know, will it, is that the best way you can tell your story? I don't know. Does it work? Is it clear? Does it accomplish what you were hoping it would accomplish? I don't know, try it, let's find out. Um, but you're always allowed to jump in and try. And try it, yeah, I loved, I loved that advice because especially, I'm getting, I'm getting less that way now, but in the beginning, when you don't yet feel like an author and you're sure that there's a right way and yeah. only one right way and that, you know, everybody who does it differently than you is doing it right. And I'm the one over here doing it wrong. And all of those feelings, you do have that, that am I allowed to, is it okay if I, you know, and, the, and like you said, the answer is sure. Give it a yep. shot. What's the worst that can happen? You don't like it and you decide to write it a different way or to put the story away for now. Absolutely. You know? Because not everything that you start has to be finished. And not everything you start has to be published. I mean, yep. sometimes sometimes the writing is just, I've got lots of partially finished manuscripts that I get to a point, it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I've, I've kind of, I don't know, kind of meh. I'm kind of like done with it and I put it away for a while and maybe later I'll bring it back out. But yep. what I, what I, what I learned in that beginning part was maybe I learned some things about dialogue or maybe I learned some oh, things, exactly. you know? Exactly. And you also just the practice of saying what you mean and meaning what right. you say, it's just so enriching as a human being. And that applies to fiction as much as it does for exactly. saying something in your own voice, because even with fiction, you're, you're expressing how you see relationships and people and why people do things. And well, and, and, you know, so many people have asked me like, well, how much of you or your experiences are in your book? Um, like most of them <laughs> to, to some degree, like, no, I've never, I've never been a world war two soldier, right. <laughs> but, but I have experienced fear and loss and yes, and, and anger, anger, patriotism, yes. all of those things. I've I've felt those things to some degree or another, and I've I'm leaning into those. Yeah, and and then saying things to myself like, "Okay, I've experienced being hungry before. What would it like to be really hungry? Like, yeah, yes, you like take five days food. hungry. Like, like okay. if I feel this way because I missed lunch." <laughs> what would I feel like if I missed lunch and dinner? What if I missed three lunches and three dinners? Mm -hmm. What? If, and then you you kind of go, okay, well I know I I can I can then extrapolate some things. So it's exactly. like it's like how much it's me. That's what it is. I'm all of these characters, and I'm none of these characters. It's it's I don't know how people would write without pulling on what they understand about life, right? Well, yeah. I think, and and when you get to that point where you are pulling on your own observations about life, because I, I think there is a, a phase at the very beginning when you start to write the characters you think you're supposed to write. Yeah. And they act the way you they, think they're supposed, supposed to, to other act. people want them to act. Right. And it's, it's such just a wonderful leap when you say, actually, wait, I'm going to I observed this about the world around me and I'm going to put that in my, I'm going to put that in there because for me, it was real. Yeah. And, and maybe it will be for someone else or maybe it will allow someone else to see things just as slightly differently than they would have otherwise. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> All right. Um, research. So I am, <laughs> I am a research junkie. I use the hashtag. Um, in fact, I tell people all the time that one of the reasons I really love doing historical fiction is because I get to do two things I love, which is research and write. 
I mean, it's like, you know, but you talk about how there's too much and there's too little, <laughs> right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about like how much is enough. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So first of all, people usually can accurately say about yourselves, you know, are you the person who researches a lot <laughs> or are you the person who jumps in without researching, you know? <laughs> And if you're the person who researches a lot, you got to put a cap on that because <laughs> then you'll never write anything. And in fact, sometimes when I've gone down these research rabbit holes and then I go to write the scene and I only use like two elements. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I did not need to. Oh, that reading. was a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but then again, I mean, sometimes you do in a sense to learn what what you don't know, you don't know. Right. <laughs> Do you know what well, I mean? And, like, and then so that you can actually pick out the two elements that are going to be the most valuable for your scene. If you hadn't done enough research, you might not have ever found those two elements. Exactly. But, but on the other hand, like you said, you do so much research that you never, that you never write the scene because there's always more. Yep. There's always more. But then, and then if you're the other way, if you just like, oh, I'll just dive in and I'll fix it later. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because some things can't be fixed later. Right. Some things your plot depends on. What if your your whole plot depends on a technology that wasn't invented during World War One? <laughs> you know, exactly. and then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So I tend to be, I'm both a before and during researcher. Totally. So, that sounds perfect. So I do a moderate amount of research beforehand and kind of immerse myself in the era and yep. kind of just get a, and I'm not even looking for anything specific. I'm just trying to like, if I were living in this era, what would yep. I be feeling? What would I be seeing? What would yep. I be wearing? You know, I just kind of do that. And then I start writing my scene and I think, oh, I want him to be going on a date. I remember Brill Cream. Was Brill Cream around oh, in 1939? Yeah, and I look it up and it's like, oh, look, yes, it would have been. It, it came out in the early 30s and by the mid 30s, it was very popular. Fantastic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because it, I would hate to put Brill Cream in his hair in 39 and find out it didn't come out to 45. Yes. And but I at don't least know. that's fixable. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's fixable. Unless but, it's like the murder weapon or something. Right, in which right. Case. But, but, you know, it's those kinds of things. And I recognize that I would say most of my readers aren't going to ever notice or care something that small. Oh, but, but it matters to readers. They know. <laughs> they know, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I always tell people that, like, with historical fiction, and really with anything that, that has information that is real life that you're having to put into your book in some way yeah. that I do my very best, but that I am not a historian and yeah. I, this is a work of fiction and that I did my best to represent the time period and my best to represent what was happening. But you have to stop researching at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Or there's no story. You'll just right. never get to it. Yeah, you'll you'll be dive bombing down all those rabbit holes forever. So I, I love <laughs> I mean, that idea. It it helps so much if you know anybody who is an expert. And this isn't just with historical. This is like if you're writing a courtroom scene Anything, and you know right? someone who's a lawyer or a judge or works in a court or has served right. on a jury. And you can just slip them a scene and say, am I on the right track with is there is there anything here that just stands out as wrong? As wrong. I once contacted a lock keeper out in the fence here. I live in England. Yeah. And I to ask him, so if I were to dump a body at this point, would it be fair to say it might emerge at this other point? Yeah. And he was like, sure, that actually sounds right to me. And, and you're you. like, good. Now I'm not actually dumping a body. I just want to be, I, I want to be completely. To the book. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said that if the FBI ever took a look at my, my internet oh, history, no. <laughs> they might be a little concerned with me, but anyway. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting what you brought up about the, the research and, and what my advice was in that chapter, because I think you you 
pounced on something that I tried to do throughout the whole book is that I can't tell you what you need to do to get better without knowing where you are right now. Right. So this book isn't a list of instructions telling you do this, 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 and this. It's a whole lot of principles to think about it. To be fair, some of them are very specific skill-based principles right. that I think uh, are extremely useful. But it's all about the person reading it having to figure out where they are in relation to this and which which parts need to take them in what direction. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I... I personally get frustrated when books say, this is the structure of a novel. And they tell yeah. you this, 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 and this. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, if that helps you, if that inspires you, if that excites you and makes you feel secure, 100% use it. But it's it's something that just, I hate it because I was brought up by, you know, this, this painting behind me was, was painted by my mom in the 60s, and my dad was in love with James Joyce, and, you know, he was all about rule breakers and doing crazy things and always challenging me, like, why are you using quotation marks? Let's, right. What if you just didn't use any? That'd be what cool. What if you did you this know? instead? Yeah. And so I just love the idea of, of a, an artist or a writer, you know, figuring out their own way and figuring out what they want to say. And I'm not saying that structures are not useful. Again, if they're useful to you, if they help you, if they inspire you, use them. Uh, but I think we get structures a lot. Yes. And so a lot of the point of this book was kind of responded, responding to what I feel is missing a lot. So I know that self-discipline is important, but our culture is overly intense about self-discipline. Everybody knows they should be more disciplined. They should work harder. We all know that. Yeah. So I write about daydreaming, not because I think daydreaming is more important than self-discipline. I think but because we never hear about it. Yeah, but we need to hear about daydreaming. Yeah. So, so much of what I put into this book is trying to balance the things that I see kind of overwhelming uh, the I loved, world of writing I loved the daydreaming thing. And I think partially because there's still that little voice in my head that says that I don't do things right. <laughs> and I do not write every day. Yep. Me I neither. don't. I, me neither. I, I can't. I've yep. tried it. I have tried it. I tried it for six long weeks of get up every morning and write for three wow. hours. And I threw away just about everything I wrote because it was terrible. Mm -hmm. And it was felt forced and I got to the point that I- It was forced. It was literally forced. And I hated writing and I loved to write and I hated the whole, I mean, I would get up in the morning and think, oh, I gotta go write. And it's like, that is so not what this is about. Yes. But even though I had that experience and I knew that for me, I write, I, I tell people that I'm a binge writer and I will, I will sit down sometimes for two weeks and write eight or 10 hours a day for two weeks and not touch it again for a month and a half because that's, that's how I write. And it wasn't until I read your book about daydreaming that I thought, I am writing. I'm writing even when I'm not writing because, yep. because I think about things and I'm trying out scenes in my head, not even always aware that I'm doing it. Like all of a sudden I'll think, oh, oh, I have been thinking about that character. And you know, that might actually, that might be the thing. Yep. Huh. Isn't that, huh. And, and then, then you get excited again and then you yeah, write out of that excitement. And I write, 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 write until it's like, okay, yeah, I'm out of ideas again. And then I get up and I, <laughs> so, and I even had the same problem. I, I was working as a, um, I, I wrote for small businesses. And sometimes they would have me write like ebooks and things. Okay. And I would, I would never do a by the hour. I always wanted to do it by the project. <laughs> oh, I'm so with you on that. <laughs> I didn't know how to charge them. How do you, I thought about it in the shower. What is this? Like I'm, I'm in here doing dishes. Do I charge you half time because I wasn't actually at the computer? Like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Because when I sit down to write, I'm extremely efficient because I've been thinking about it for the last 10 hours. So I either cheat myself because very efficiently I wrote 10 hours worth of work in an hour and a half, 
or you feel cheated because I actually <laughs> charged you for doing dishes. So, yeah. <laughs> but I loved that because for the first time it gave me kind of a, oh, I am actually doing it. I do well, write every day. <laughs> so that was, that was fantastic for me. The other thing that I read that I, that was interesting because I had never separated the two terms was the difference between structure and plot. Oh, yes. That's I had so, always just, so I had just kind of, I don't know, I'd kind of lumped them. Everybody does. Thing. <laughs> so, so because of that, let's talk about that. What is structure? What is plot? Why are they different? How, how are they connected? Right. So plot are the things that happen, right? And uh, as a novelist, let's say you're a novelist who's already decided your plot. Um, or, but if you're writing a memoir or a biography or something true and the plot is already decided for you. So let's just pretend that the plot is fixed. In real life with fiction, plot is not fixed and you can change as you go. Right. Let's just say, even if your plot is fixed, um, it is a mistake to think, therefore, I now have the structure of my book. Uh, because where are you going to start? There are at least 20 different places in that plot that you could start. Where are you going to end? When are you going to consider the, the book finished, the story done? What has to happen uh, to, to make that finale moment? It could be here, it could be here, it could be here. Um, and then, you know, who is going to tell which part and in what order? So, you know, you can have, is that going to be something they remember? in the middle of the book, when they're already in the middle of the criminal trial, right. and then we're right. gonna get it as a flashback or a memory or, or in their testimony, or is that gonna be something you're gonna show us in chronological order, maybe as a prologue or in the first chapter, because it happened then. So don't be a prisoner of chronology. There are so many different ways story elements can come in to a story and you have so much choice, so much power, so many options, even if your plot is fixed. And in fiction, that even that's not fixed. Right. Uh, right. But even if you just, the amount of power and options you have is huge. And I think a lot of people, it takes working up to it to realize how much power and how much options you have. It's just very natural to, to feel like you don't have that. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people really do have that, you know, there's, there's just the one way to write a book. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you're almost told that different, like you said, different books come out and say, this is the way to write the book. This is the way. And mm -hmm. then you go read and I'm an avid reader and it's like, well, there's more than one way to write a book. Look, she did it this way <laughs> and he did it this way. Yes. And, you know, and so I think that, that I liked that idea, that distinction, that even if you know the plot, even if you know, I plan to do this and this and this, and this is the person that's going to have done it in the end. And I, I kind of have my little things set out that how you show it to your reader is the structure. Yes. It's the so reader's I, journey. Yes. Which is not necessarily the same as the protagonist. It can be. Some people do write books that are strictly chronological and those can be great books. Exactly. Um, and where the reader is sharing the protagonist experience and they're, they're thinking the same things, they're suspecting the same right. things. But then there are other books where the reader's journey is very different from the protagonist's journey. Right. Or there may be multiple protagonists or, you know, who knows? But yeah, I sometimes even have to have a separate outline for my reader's experience versus my character's experiences. Yeah. So I loved, I just, wow. I think, I think what I loved about the, that your book is that it, it got me to thinking and it gave me, gave me options for considering how I might go about doing something instead of being very rigid and making me feel like, oh, I've been doing it wrong. This was more, yeah. this, this was more of a, hey, there's a lot of ways to do things. Here are the things to consider while you're while you're out there yes, doing your craft. Exactly. Exactly. I want you people know? to walk away from reading this feeling empowered. And, right. and it's not just about, you know, uh, 
saying like, oh, you're, you can do anything. Because while well, that's very nice, it's not, right. you know, there are just really specific chapters about here are some things that work well. This is why they work well. This is, these are the, the methods they used. You can choose from these methods to have the effect that you want. Right. And you can just look up how to, you know, setting and description and metaphors and similes. And, and something that's made me so, so happy when I've been um, been reading the, uh, the the reviews that that people have been leaving, and it's just one of the great joys in life is is to feel understood, right? And 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 I feel I feel like I was able to communicate what I intended, and one of those things, and and people often doubt that this can possibly be true. Um, but I, I teach a lot of different courses and some courses have beginners in them and some courses have very experienced writers mm -hmm. in them. And um, people ask me, you know, how I change the lectures on certain topics for different levels. Right. And I say, well, actually, I, I don't. There's the principles of good writing are the same for everybody. And the more experienced you are, the more you'll be able to absorb, the more sophisticated a manner you'll be able to express what you're learning exactly. here. But, but it doesn't change. And I just love that the reviewers have been pointing out that they said, this is for everybody. This is for absolute beginners. This is for people with MFAs and published books. This is for, there's something to think about here. Uh, for everybody. And that just filled me with joy because that was my hope. Right. And that was my opinion about the things I teach. And I'm just, I am thrilled uh, that people well, from your eyes levels were saying. Right. That. I'm currently working on my fourth manuscript that will, that will complete. And yeah. um, you'd think, okay, yeah, I'm at a point I shouldn't need these, but no, I, I learned things. And if nothing else, it just made me feel good about my process. Yeah. You know, if nothing else, I'm taking a deep breath and saying, okay, okay. I am not the only person out here who, who doesn't write every morning. I think that the part that I have the most problem with are the people who do have a very specific process feel, often feel like it is the right way. Oh, yeah. And then point that as why you're not doing it. Yeah. Right. That's not just writers. That's about like, I think that's true. That is true. You know, my way or the highway, my way or the highway. And I'm, you know, it's hard when you see a, an author who's well-known, who obviously is doing well, who's one yeah. of the authors that have made it big, who, who comes out point blank and says, if you're not writing every day, you're doing it wrong. You know, yeah. and you think, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never, then I'm never going to make it, you know? And it's like, no, that's not true. It's not true. It's, it may be true for him. Yep. For him, that is the best because for whatever reason, this works for him, but my yeah, and mind, sharing what works, what works for, for you, you is great. great, but projecting it onto others as a requirement, not, not never, never works. <laughs> right. So the, the last thing I'd like to talk a little bit about is like groups, courses, books, you know, like yeah. finding that, that community, that village. Um, when I first started writing fiction, I was in an abusive relationship oh. and did not reach out to anyone. Oh, okay. wow. So now I got out of the relationship and I'm still writing, but I'm not reaching out to anyone because I'm still not in a safe place in my own mind. You know, I don't believe I'm an actual writer. I don't believe oh. that I'm ever going to be good enough. I don't, you know, all the things that yeah, happen yeah, yeah. when you, when you, feel, right, yeah. right. And so, I mean, it took, it took time, but I actually published my first book without having a mentor, without being in a group without, wow. without having taken a course, without mm -hmm. having beta readers, none of it. I kind of yep. did it all because I had to succeed me. Right. So people ask me things like, well, who's your mentor? And it's like, oh, I feel really good. I don't even, you know, but I really now I've reached out and I have, I've found my people, you know, yes. and we can, we can talk. I think it would have been a easier journey for me had I reached out early. So let's talk about things like groups, courses, books, getting a degree, 
what's necessary, what's not, how do you find, how do you find the groove that works for you? Right. I mean, I, I love that, that you brought this up because yes, the, the, the typing, the time when I'm actually doing the writing that I, I do need to be alone. You know, that, that has to be solitary. Even if my husband promises to be very, very quiet, it's like, no, you have to be in another room. (laughs) Um, so, you know, and so there's, there's the, the stereotype that is mostly correct about writing being solitary. And I am just discovering more and more as I work with students, the importance of the social aspect of writing. And there are a couple of groups I lead where I don't really do much teaching. I don't do much uh, workshopping as in like looking at something they've spent time on and, and then critiquing it for them. Uh, but it's just exercises and it's just uh, res- positive responses where we just talk about what we admired and, and what worked for us in the piece. And um, it's just, I just see people blooming in their confidence and it takes confidence to, to write something and you can't just, you can't just get there with self affirmations in a vacuum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I it do. Comes from when you write a scene that you meant to be funny and you hear people laugh as you're reading it out or you hear them gasp in the right place or whatever. Yes. And it's just, it, it, it builds confidence from experience, which yes. is so much less fragile than like self-imposed confidence. Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. And yes. so yeah, there's there's so much worth, and it doesn't have to be a group. Sometimes it's because from you trade work with a friend. Um, and one of the things that I just think is so interesting is that a lot of people think that um, getting feedback, getting advice, is something that only amateurs do until you're a professional, and then you don't need it anymore. And, you know, one of my dear friends, she's a mega best-selling author. And I'll tell you how we met. We were having a cup of coffee after she'd just moved to town, you know, and she had asked me to, uh, to, to do something as part of a, a festival she was putting together. And so we were just hanging out. And after an hour, she said, look, I'm new here. Will you be my writing partner? And this is a multi best-selling author. And she said, I just want someone to go back and forth over it with before I send it to my editor, because then the publication process, you know, it goes fast. Right. And so that's something that, that we all continue to gain from this, this sharing. So first of all, I think sharing is incredible. What kind of sharing or atmosphere is going to work for you? Is it going to be a one-on-one like I have with this friend? Is it going to be a workshop group, you do have to be careful. You have to find a group that shares your values and shares your taste and right. that and that supports your genre. They don't necessarily have to be knowledgeable about it, but they, they can't be denigrating it. You know, you don't want to get feedback on a romance novel from somebody who looks down on romance novels. That's not cool. It's not going to work. Nor do you want to get yourself into a group where you find that you're reading things that you find offensive. You know, like, like, like I'm not, I'm not comfortable reading erotica. I'm just not. Okay. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying I personally am am very uncomfortable. Right. Given that I certainly wouldn't want to be in a group where one of the authors, that's what they're producing. And then I'm supposed to be reading it because I don't want to read it. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have anything great to say because, well, I'm not going to say anything out loud at all because I'm going to have been embarrassed that I even read it. And now I have to look at them. And I know and it's and I know it's me. And you know your limit. Yeah, I know it's me. And so you do, like you said, you have to kind of know, like, what are you getting yourself into? And that erotica writer deserves better. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just about me. It's more about them. I can't give them what they need. I can't. So it's got to be a group where everybody right. is agreeing. I'm yeah, going to help you do what you want to do, not tell you you should be doing something else because that's right. not cool. Everybody gets to decide their own goal. Right. Right. And, and that goal needs to be supported. So you have to find a, a place for that about um, whether or not you should take a course. I mean, obviously, I think there's some good in courses because I teach them. Right. <laughs> if you so didn't, you'd be out of a job. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of people, it's it's um, it gives them a structure. 
Um, it gives, obviously it gives them feedback. It sets a high standard. Um, and, and it also, it's in a way it can give them permission. Like if you're just writing as a hobby, then you can kind of feel guilty that you're not washing the dishes or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Right, but if right. you say, I have, I have to do my homework. Um, That's a whole different thing, right? More, you know, right. so it can be useful. But something that I have, uh, a conclusion that I have come to about life, just seeing a lot of students at different stages, um, I think doing a, a, like an MFA or equivalent degree or an MST like I teach, um, can be a great thing for somebody, you know, in their 30s, in their 40s, you know, or older, that 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 sort of thing, where, where you're making the decision, you're saying, I'm ready. I know I need some help, but I'm, I'm ready to dive in. And that can be great. I actually, I get a little concerned uh, about like 18 year olds uh, doing a creative writing degree. Now, now, first of all, if that's your dream, do it. 100%, I am never here to take away your dream. My right. answer is always follow your nose. Right. Um, but the caution I have for like an 18, 19, 20 year old is that you can be an incredibly talented writer, but not have found your voice yet or not have found kind of what you want to write about yet. And it can be really demoralizing to have to be writing on command week after week and then getting feedback on it and worse, getting grades on it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, right. So when, when you realize you at a vulnerable time as a creative exactly. person. Before, before you have kind of like settled on this is what I'm trying to achieve yes. with my writing or this is yes. what. Yeah. So yeah. It, it can be. So it can be a great thing to study creative writing as an undergraduate, as a teenager. And if, and if somebody's having a great experience or has that strong desire, 100% they should do it. But my caution is maybe you'd be better off studying something that you might later want to write about. Like for me, that would be, ooh, archaeology, astronomy. Right, or, right, right. Or, right. or sounding like a parent, maybe something that will help you have an interesting, lucrative day job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> To be able to write what you want to write. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? There are lots of different right. ways to consider the best way to educate yourself. But there are so many opportunities. I mean, there are books. There are online groups. I learned from the online group Absolute Right. I don't even know if it's still going. But, you know, hey, if anybody from Absolute Right is out there, hello. I'm Emily Winslow <laughs> from there. And uh, I just, you know, there are so many different ways to learn with other people. But I really, really believe that reaching out and sharing your work in whatever degree you're comfortable. Right. Uh, is just such a key part of the whole process of becoming more and more uh, yourself. Well, and, and for me, I have found that it has made writing a more joyful experience yes. to to have my people, you know, to yes. know that I can send something to a friend and say, hey, what do you think of this? And get their honest feedback and get get just be just be part of, of other people who are writing and to know that they too reach out and say, hey, I had this idea. What do you think? Do you, does that have any merit? Do you see it going anywhere? And, you know, yep. being able to, to go back and forth. And so, yeah, I if, if I could go back and change things, of course, I would have never been in that relationship. But if that were not possible, mm -hmm. I still think I would have found a way to reach out. I was I, I felt too vulnerable and I could not yes, feel vulnerable. And so I just I could not do it. Um, right. And I love this. It's one of the reasons why I um, decided to do a podcast was yeah. the interaction that I have now with other authors. It 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 enthuses me and it charges yes. me up. And that way you can you can yes. feel understood earlier in the process. I think it's so dangerous if it's everything is completely secret the whole way and you're you, you're hinging all your hopes on publication and being understood by reviewers and being understood by yeah. the readers you're hoping will buy your book. And that's that's a, that can be a long wait. That can be a long way to go. You can be understood during the journey. Right. No. Right. If and I love that. I people. love that. Can I tell you my dream? <laughs> oh, let's hear the dream. Yes, my absolutely. My dream with this book is I hope that people will 
um, that sometimes like writing groups or book groups will get together and want to like discuss a chapter or a cluster of chapters every week and use this as a as a sort of a skeleton for for getting together. Excellent. Yeah, that that, that would. Be that would make me so happy. Okay, <laughs> I so, hope that would make them happy. <laughs> so let's put it out there, okay? So like that would actually be a great idea for a group. So if you are an author that's in a group and you're kind of struggling with what should we be doing or how yep. can we make this more effective for our authors, you know, you can continue doing your critiques as you've been doing, but why not talk about a particular chapter or a particular yeah. section? You know, why not bring that to the forefront and, and have a little discussion just to get ideas flowing. I love that. That's yeah. And, and anybody listening, if your group does that, uh, you know, get in touch. You can find my email on my website and I'd be willing to come in on a Zoom and say, hey, if that would be yeah. of interest to your group. So fantastic. So that was my final and last question, which is how can people reach out to you? So what is your website, Emily? Well, handily enough, it is emilywinslow.com. <laughs> how, how perfect is that? And I'll have that in the show notes. Um, and then uh, are you on social media? Is there a way people can follow you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm like many writers. I am <laughs> my, my introverted self does not post too much on social okay. media, uh, but I am on Facebook, Emily Winslow dot author, I think. But anyway, Emily, Emily Winslow, you'll find me there and Emily C. Winslow on um on instagram, instagram. Okay. and there there will be often cat pictures those are my <laughs> little ladies next to me wait where's the other one there there it is there, there uh, we go so i'm yeah i'm a cat picture person okay. on those things and i also post beautiful pictures of cambridge because it's just such a such a beautiful city Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being on the show with me. Thank you so much. I think it was, I think we've learned a lot. So this is great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Online for Authors, where I, Terry M. Brown, author of character-driven fiction and host of the podcast, introduce readers to characters they'd love to invite to lunch. Tune in next Tuesday for another podcast episode.